Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to tonight's uh, Faith and Life event. I am Pastor Tim Westermeyer, Senior Pastor at St. Philip the Deacon, which is privileged to present these community events, and we are delighted to have you joining us tonight. A uh, special welcome, as always, to anyone who is joining us uh, this evening for the first time to a Faith and Life event. This is getting to be now, what, the second to last event in the uh, 18th season of our Faith and Life presentations. We're uh, delighted to be able to welcome our speaker tonight, and I will do that in a second. But before I do, just a word about process tonight, since this is, again, a virtual event. We do welcome your questions. We'd love to have uh, you send those in uh, as you're as you're prompted uh, for them as you're listening to this presentation. And you can do that one of three ways. Uh, you can send them by email to social at spdlc.org. So that's the email, social at spdlc.org. Or you can send them in on the form at our website, faith-and-life.org slash livestream. Uh, and some of you may be watching this on Facebook. And if you're watching it on Facebook, you can also send questions um, there. So we'll get to the questions later in the evening, but I just wanted to say that up front. So over the last um, 18 years, again, we have welcomed to this series um, authors and journalists and scientists and professors and business executives and nonprofit leaders and musicians and counselors and uh, athletes. The, the common denominator with all of them is that they're Christian. And so they've each come in and spoken about how their Christian faith informs whatever it is that they do. Uh, over that time, we have had um, maybe one or two artists, but we're delighted tonight to have someone joining us who uh, started her professional career anyway as a, a minister. She's a theologian and minister and then transitioned into this world of art. Uh, she is coming to us from her studio in downtown Houston, uh, where she shares space with about 30 other artists. She's near a train track. And so she did mention as we were visiting before this, we're praying that no loud trains come through. Um, and I will tell you as well, I always like to include a little uh, sort of off the beaten path detail about our speakers when I introduce them. Uh, she mentioned that she loves 90s hip hop and rap as well as 90s country. And she's a huge fan of Dixie Chicks and Shania Twain and knows their entire catalog. So we're delighted to welcome her tonight. If you were here in person, all of you, I would invite you now to applaud as we welcome Lanicia Rouse Tinsley. And we do welcome you indeed, Lanicia. Thank you for joining us. Good evening and thank you. Um, thank you, thank you for having me tonight. Um, it is really good to be with you all. I must name, however, that I would have found so much delight in sharing space and time with all of you in the Twin Cities, in the very sanctuary where others have gathered together for years. I think Tim said it's been 18 years um, of the Faith and Life Lectures, and people have gathered in that sanctuary to, to hear the lectures and to be in conversation with each other. And I would have been delighted to be there. So I must start by saying, I honestly, I grieve <laughs> that due to COVID-19, we are unable to gather in the flesh, to see each other embodied, to feel the energy that fills a space when two or more gather, to hear and to see the settled subtle nuanced ways our bodies communicate, how we are digesting, receiving and sharing information. You know, the laughter, the sniffles, the amens, and in my tradition, the helper Lord, <laughs> and the gestures of discomfort. I grieve that it has been over a year that I have been able to gather in the flesh in a room with more than five people or around the table. Yes, the dinner table, I love a good dinner party, but I specifically miss tonight the communion table. And I've seen in, um, images of past lectures and I can only imagine how the visible tangible reality of the altar and the communion table being in front of us, front and center, um, in the midst of our conversation can help to ground us, 
and remind us that we have all chosen a story of life, a story that has the power to stretch, spark, heal, and transform our individual and communal imaginations. I am an artist and so I fully lean and live in my body. My body is so important to the work. So I had to name first my grief <laughs> that we can't be in the flesh. And I celebrate. I celebrate the fact that due to the imagination and creativity of million of many brilliant minds, um, people much smarter than me, <laughs> we are able to gather together virtually. And through, um, though disembodied, we are able to be in communion with each other. That's a beautiful thing. I celebrate and give thanks for the work of Tim and all the others on the Faith and Life Lecture Series team who have reimagined the format of these lectures for such a time as this and put their creative energy towards curating the space for us. And finally, I celebrate that I get to welcome you to my sacred space, my studio, which as Tim said, is downtown. So you will hear probably all the sounds <laughs> and life of the city. Um, but I am so happy to be able to welcome you here to the space and specifically here to my art table which I have imagined through my experience and understanding of the ways the communion table um, provides a glimpse of possibility and restoration of our perceptions of what shared life can be both in and outside of the church walls. Like my, all of my art table is like an extension of the communion table for me. And that's how I've imagined the space being for others. And it is a place where as artists, the Astor Gates said in the recent documentary, Black Art in the Absence of Light, he said um, that as artists, we get to participate in the reshaping of nothingness. And this is the place where I get to participate in that kind of meaningful work. It is at this table where I hope everyone who walks through my door can sit down and feel welcome to be fully human and know that their embodied presence is seen, valued, and well cared for. Where everyone who comes, I hope, can receive some good nourishment, right? And experience the healing power of the creative process. And, or maybe, even have their imaginations stretched, sparked, and healed a bit. That's the hope and the work. And so tonight, I grieve and I celebrate with you and I welcome you. It is truly an honor to be with you. Tonight, I'm going to share some lines of my story and a couple of things that I have gleaned from living that story about the healing power of creativity and the arts. I was born into the stories of a mom who is an artist. She's a singer, dancer, writer, and actor, loves to act on stage amongst many other things. She has many other um, vocations and identities, but she's an artist. And I was born into the story of a father who is a minister and a therapist amongst many other things. And I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, while my father was in divinity school. And then eventually, I think it was around two years old, we moved to South Carolina once he finished. And if you ask them, I came out of my mom's womb singing and dancing to the Jackson Five and preaching along with my father. <laughs> Seriously, there are photos of me dancing and singing on top of the tables at, P at Pizza Hut. Um, to Motown, as well as there are photos of me in my dad's stole. I'm five years old, standing in a chair behind his pulpit, preaching about Jesus's love. Art and faith, creativity, God, you know, following and walking and following the God of Jesus Christ have been for formative parts of my life story since birth. My mom, yes, she was an artist. She was a dance teacher and singing instructor. She was a trained dancer who loved to dance and sing. 
and shared that love with my sister and myself as well as others. When my sister and I became of age to begin taking dance classes, she noticed that there was a need for affordable, accessible dance classes in our small town in South Carolina, where children in our community, specifically Black children, could come and learn how to be fully in their bodies and dance. The church my father pastored at, um, at that particular time, they had space. And as a number of churches during the weeks, the space is not always being fully occupied and used. And so he offered the space to my mom so that she could begin to teach dance out of the church fellowship hall during the week. My mom was my first example of what it looks like for an artist to partner with the church to support the flourishing of the arts in the local community. And that is a lesson that is very, that I've carried with me and has, is very much a part of the work that I do today. From a very early age, I learned from my mother's work, her art, that the body, my body, in all of its wonders and limitations is a good gift. She gave us space to take up as fully embodied humans to share our unique voices with the world through dance. In a society where black and brown bodies are often devalued, my mom offered us a new narrative through her dance classes. This work that she did was invaluable. She taught us that our bodies are valuable and capable of creating art that stirs the imagination, that moves people to stillness, that empowers, that increases the capacity of others for empathy, and an art that spoke to the realities of our shared human experiences. There are some unlearning <laughs> that I've had to do over the years with regards to how I perceive my body and the bodies of others for sure. And the lessons my mom taught me through her creativity have remained with me and continue to shape how I perceive, care for, and make space for others and how I work to love my body and the body of others. Her art continues to be a healing, restorative part of my journey. My dad, he was my first pastor and teacher in practical theology. He was the first to teach me what God's loved embodied in this world could look like and to actively imagine other possibilities outside of the social worlds I found myself in, namely predominantly white spaces due to his call to serve in cross-racial appointments in the early 80s and throughout the 90s in South Carolina. So you could probably only imagine um, what that journey, he was the first cross-racial appointment um, in Methodism since Reconstruction in South Carolina. And so with that call came a lot of sacrifice, a lot of challenging challenges, um, tensions, a lot of narratives that played that my parents constantly had to speak truth to and speak new stories into our lives to shape us. I learned from observing my father's work, however, to cultivate imagination rooted in the love of God and neighbor. And the necessity of doing the hard work, sometimes minute by minute work, of challenging and checking my own perceptions in order to choose to live into a story that, is, that fosters understanding and solidarity. To live a Christ-centered life that was about the work of justice, restoration, and love. I saw how he lived this out in creative ways. He was always exploring the possibilities of what can happen when people come together with their unique gifts and resources for the common good. I watched over the years as he was constantly participating in the work of reshaping nothingness so that people could be cared for, seen, 
valued, known, and could thrive. He started a number of programs and ministries to assist people experiencing homelessness, hunger, job inequities, racial injustices, inequalities, alcohol and drug abuse, and so much more. He, in his own way, was an artist and creativity was very much a part of his ministry. I learned from him that creativity comes in many forms and that we all have a deep well of creativity within us. I learned to make space for diverse ways creativity can show up in a room. And I carry that also with me in this work that I do today. I learned from him that just as easily as our creativity can be used to destroy, oppress, and do harm to each other, our creativity can restore, liberate, heal, and make this world a more human dwelling place. More than anything, I believe my father's work taught me how to see and to listen well. He taught me to honor the humanity and creative potential of each person I encountered. I wish I could say that their voices and the narratives they offered me from birth were the most dominant over the past 43 years. But the truth is we all swim in a deep ocean of narratives, most of which we did not choose. But they claim us and they, they, they have power and they try to contain power over our imaginations. And when I say imaginations, I mean the ways in which we see ourselves see those we share life with and see the world we inhabit. I grew up wanting to be an artist, but I was afraid of failure and insecurity and at some point gave power to the narrative that in order to be of value, in order to belong, I needed to excel in all ways and perform at the highest level possible. I thought I needed to be exceptional in order to survive. So it should come as no surprise that it was in the seventh grade <laughs> that when I got my first C, that is not to me in the seventh grade C was not equal to exceptional. <laughs> and I got my first C in art class. <laughs> and I remember being this little, you know, feisty little seventh grader who felt entitled to challenge her grade, of course. And so I went to my art teacher to say, you know, like, I think you've made a mistake. <laughs> I don't make C's, what is this about? And I'm sure he didn't say this exactly, but all I remember and what I feel like I heard was that you don't have talent. You're not an artist, give it up, you know? And so, I allowed a narrative to be exceptional, um, to have to perform at the highest level to, to take away something that I loved because I loved making art. I loved drawing and painting. But hearing that those words, getting that seam, I put my paintbrush down and I began to concentrate on things that I felt I excelled in. I decided I wouldn't pursue the visual arts if I could not make that A. And I, you know, and it never really disappeared, my love for it, my curiosity, my draw to it, but I did. I just kind of put it in a box and focused on other things. I ended up going to college and studying sociology and then eventually divinity school. And I entered into the ministry for a number of years, all, of which I am grateful for. The ministry took me to so many beautiful places and helped me enter into the lives of people who will remain imprinted on my heart forever. Also, all of those years led to a massive depression that broke me the fall of 2010. Though I loved God, loved people, and was participating in good work, I was not showing up fully to life. I was suppressing the artist within me that so desperately wanted to breathe. It needed to breathe. And so there was no wonder, even though I worked creativity into my ministry, um, I just kept burning out. 
I was wearing this mask. I was doing this work that just didn't fit. So in the midst of depression in 2010, I met two phenomenal humans from Houston, Texas. And they invited me to be a part of the work they were doing here at St. John's downtown. And they called it the Love Revolution. And they invited me to come join the Love Revolution and be a part of this work they had been doing for 20 years to meet the basic needs of, empower and heal the lives of men and women from all walks of life. Specifically, they invited me to come to be the project manager for a new therapeutic art and economic empowerment program um, for men and women experiencing homelessness. It was a vision of Pastor Juanita Rasmus um, that had come to her during her bout with cancer. Art had been an important part of her healing um, and therapy process through that um, battle with cancer. She's a survivor. And so she wanted to give that to the community. So they brought me or invited me rather. And you know what my first response was? <laughs> really, are you sure you want me? I am the girl that got the C in art class, <laughs> um, not me. And they both spoke truth in my life and they were like, yeah, you, and what you don't know, we can help you figure out. We have people who can surround you, but there are things that you have already um, that we need, that our people need. So come join the love revolution and love on our people with us. So I said, yes. And with the support of many in the art and faith community here in Houston, I was able to manage, direct that project for almost four years. Um, I was a part of the healing and restoration of artists. Um, it was a transient community. So we had artists that um, would come in and leave, but gosh, do I have the stories. I have so many stories of how making space for art to happen can truly heal. It can transform, it can awaken. And I saw how it made room for people to reimagine their lives. People who had gone through deep traumas, people who hadn't felt seen, Art provided a space for their voice to be heard, for that healing to come and give words to their pain, to their story. Ah, so many stories, but I think, um, you know, the lives of many of the artists in the project and those who supported the cause, you know, there's stories of how art and creativity was a powerful force in their lives. But you know what, my life, was one that was included in that. <laughs> you see, in August 2013, I learned I was pregnant, that Cleve, my partner in all of life, and I were going to have a girl whom we named AJ. Her existence and the love that binds me to her for eternity changed me immediately. AJ, and that's short for Anne Jorkeen, speak her name. She, she broke me open from the moment I knew she existed within me. My therapist and I began to do some really deep soul tending work and imagination work in order for me to become the mother I desired to be for her. I'd always been afraid to name out loud my dreams, especially that I was an artist and that I felt called to love the world through artistic expression. But becoming a mother gave me the courage to begin to speak it out loud and to begin imagine, imagining what that life might look like for myself. It was the story I desired for AJ to be born into, the story of a mother who was living into her vocational calling. Motherhood changed me. Slow fast forward <laughs> to December 4th. Not quite five months after learning of her existence, 
I gave birth to AJ. I had something that physicians called an incompetent cervix, an awful name. <sighs> Basically, my cervix was just too weak to hold her and we just didn't know that it needed support and care in order for me to carry her full term. So just like that, AJ was born and two hours later, she died resting upon my chest. Immediately, I was hit with the truth, the reality that I was still here and the child that Cleve and I had just had all of these dreams for, especially the dream of bringing her home all bundled up on April 6th, 2014, that that child was not. Her death shattered me. Her death handed me a bowl of sorrow unlike any I had ever carried within me before. And unlike any I know I will carry in the future. Each grief, each trauma is different. However, with each grief and each trauma, other griefs resurface. And so I was a wreck. I had experienced, however, enough grief of my own and witnessing others go through it that the only way was through. And I had learned a number of life-giving ways through the art project, especially, to carry the grief and not to allow the grief to carry me, not to allow the trauma to carry me, but how to carry it and honor the pain, to let people know, um, let people into the story. You know, it was important. Um, vulnerability was so important. And when I could find the words, I spoke honestly about what I needed to make it through. I'll never forget the first night, however, when I was alone in the hospital and I was wailing out to God. I said a number of things that I will not say here. Um, it was a sanctuary, but just imagine all of the Psalms of the Bible just kind of coming together in one. And um, I wailed out and I screamed out, if I am to make it through this, I'm going to need love to show up. And I'm going to need it not just to show up in the thoughts and the prayers and these untangible ways. I need it to tangibly show up. And I promise if you just show up, I'll keep watch. I'll keep looking. And I'll live into these prayers that I'm praying that I'm gonna need love to show up. It was the only way I knew that I could make it through. And it was in that hospital room where I began to the process of acceptance and my journey of grief. And the church allowed me a few weeks off from work for the initial stages. And grief is, you know, a circular, circular right? So um, it's stages and they come and they go. And there's some days when it feels like yesterday she, she was born and died, right? The grief feels so close. But during those initial stages, they gave me time for my body to heal, for my spirit to heal, for my emotions to just, be. And in that space, I experienced an aloneness that I had never experienced before. And I struggled for words to articulate what I was going through, but my sighs, as the scriptures point to, were truly too deep for words. There were so many sleepless nights where I could not get the tears to stop falling. I would find myself on the floor in my own pool of tears, finding solace in watercolor painting. 
Now I'd done some painting and, you know, I sat in a number of the art project classes with artists and the, the project I managed, but it kind of surprised me, you know, music had always been this place of solace and art that I turned to, but I turned to watercolor painting. And I have to tell you, there was something soothing about playing with color. While in the depth of my despair, there was something cathartic about the repetitive motion. You know, um, I wasn't creating any kind of masterpiece. I mean, it was really just like shapes and abstract marks and forms. But I found, and since then I've learned that there's something scientific about this, our brains, that we can get in this place called flow, right? And this flow state um, is cathartic and meditative. And it's a place where our, you know, logical brain that's always working to try to make sense can rest. And, and we enter into this real, like, for me, it was a mystical space. And it was healing for me. And I, I remember hearing my teacher's words um, in the art project. We had a watercolor teacher. And he would always say, just let the water work. And I just let the water work, both on the page, the water flowing from my eyes. I just let it do its work. And when I look back over my journey, I see as well that there was something healing about me actively creating with my body. Creating became a resistance to a narrative that my body was incompetent, that my body could not create or was too broken to create and sustain life. And so I think, you know, there was something and there's still something for me about creating as a way of resistance to narratives that try to speak um, lies about my body and who I am. Um, resistance to destructive actions and pains in this world. But every time I show up to the canvas, every time I show up to the art table, it's, a, it's an act of hope, it's an act of faith, it's an act of life, right? And so I played with watercolor for hours and eventually I started collaging. And then I was able to leave my apartment and go on walks in the park. I yearned for nature. And I would carry my camera with me, photographing moments that brought me to stillness and that were tending to my wounded heart. I read a lot of poetry, just letting the words of the poets wash over me and help me find my own words when I didn't have them. I would go to local art spaces and be encountered by the art on the walls in ways that not only made me feel less alone, they made me curious and strengthened my desire to create. Each time I was before a piece of art or read a poem or bravely engaged in the creative process myself, it was like I was receiving an invitation to allow myself to be fully human and loved by the creating and recreating God. Receiving that invitation was healing for me. It was liberating. During the nine months after AJ's birth and death, and side note, the nine months was not intentional <laughs> at all. But it was nine months later that I discovered the courage and received the healing and had the vision I needed to continue being the mother I was preparing to be while I was carrying AJ. You know, during those nine months following her death, I began to prayerfully take steps towards my identity as an artist. I got the studio downtown. I began to make art. I exhibited art, I created this business plan and I did all the things I needed to do for what was next. And in September, 2014, I resigned from my pastoral ministry and became a full-time artist. It was a difficult step, step, but ultimately one of the most rewarding decisions I've made to date. And I am here now, back to living out my first loves, art, leaning into creativity. I am an artist who believes that I have seen time and time again, 
that creativity and art can be portals through which healing can come. Giving attention to my creative self and my journey with God and making it possible um, for me to encounter, be encountered by art on a regular basis, it stirs my social and political and theological imaginations in ways that does bring about restoration and healing in my life and in the work that I do in the community. It's been essential to my own physical and emotional and spiritual well-being. Art making has made space for me to express what I feel and believe at any given time. Knowing that the canvas is strong enough to hold all of my energy and all of my truth. And there's something good about us releasing these things out of our bodies and not carrying them. And creativity allows us, right, to explore that part of ourselves, you know. And, it, you know, in my practice, in my art, you know, the canvas can hold my rage. It can hold my sorrow. It can hold my joy, my hope, my doubts, my fears, the pain, and everything in between when I create from a place of love and honesty and truth. That's healing for me. When I explore the creative possibilities of bringing together various materials to create a harmonious whole upon a surface, I cannot help but begin to imagine and reimagine possibilities, collaborating with others to find ways to make this world a more human dwelling place, as James Baldwin writes in his essay, The Creative Process. And that work, that community creative work where we have academics and religious leaders and activists and artists and everyone working, coming together for their different spheres of influence that is to create something that brings about solidarity for the common good. You know, that's healing. Being fully human, being fully in my body, <laughs> pushing boundaries of form and creating large scale works that take up space and small scale works that invite the viewer to lean in. Hmm. Creativity becomes a portal through healing, a portal where healing can come, you know, for me to take up space, to share my story and invite people in, that's healing. Art making for me is a deeply spiritual process. Art both in the making and the viewing of it invites us to tap into this deep well of creativity that is within each of us, every one of us. Genesis begins, in the beginning, God created. It's in our DNA, friends. <laughs> we all have creative potential. We each create every day. The clothes we put on, the food we choose to eat, how we choose to craft and shape our lives with God, with each other. That's creativity at work. And so I always encourage people like to, to lean into that, to practice that part of yourself. You know, just like we care for our bodies physically and the food that we eat and Therapy is a good thing, you know, and spiritually we're tending to us, like tend to the creative self within you. It's important for the wholeness of ourselves, for our whole beings. All of these are important parts of being human. And finally, art draws me into the mystery of the incarnation. It helps me to pay attention to God's presence in the world, the God who is indeed with us. And though sometimes it's hard to see, you know, art has this way of tuning my eyes and helping me to see in ways that other things don't always do. You know, when I think of art, I'm thinking of music and films, um, literature, the Bible, you know, these things we read, poetry, visual arts, sculptures, ceramics, things that fiber, all of these things um, hold so much potential for life-giving, healing, perspective, formation kind of change. And I love it all. And it all reminds me that um, the world is pregnant with possibility. And as I bring myself to the canvas and I invite others to, to tap into their creative self, I encourage them to remember that, that the world is pregnant with 
possibilities. And the world is waiting for people who believe that we, you know, in goodness and in, in justice and mercy and in the beauty and the value of all human bodies, right? To create, to lean into those possibilities. Thank you. Beautiful, thank you, Lanicia. Um, if you were here in person, and I, I agree with you, I grieve that you are not with us and we're not with you, you would be hearing a loud round of applause right now. So uh, thank you for a beautiful presentation. As I mentioned um, at the outset, I'm gonna uh, have a few announcements here and, and I will remind you we're gonna take some, uh, or have an opportunity for some uh, questions for Lanicia. I've got a few already. And by the way, Lanicia, I could ask you questions for about the next five hours. Um, <laughs> But we'd love to get more questions from uh, our viewers. Um, as you send those in again to either, um, where, what were the things again? Uh, our email, um, I should have been, I was taking copious notes, um, social at spdlc.org. Uh, that's the email or faith-and-life.org slash live stream. You can send them through that uh, box there. Or again, if you're watching this on Facebook, I think there's a way to respond there. But as you're sending those in, I will make a couple of quick announcements and let Lanicia rest her voice for a moment. Um, the first thing I want to bring up is our next event. That's the final event in the 2020-2021 uh, season of Faith and Life. And that will feature uh, Naomi Tutu, uh, who is a another daughter of another uh, pastor. You may have heard of him, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was, is her father, he's still alive, and she will be joining us. Um, again, uh, we've made the decision just in the last week, given a lot of uh, circumstances with her work and life and with the conditions around COVID that are still uncertain, we're gonna do that one virtually as well. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for that on May 6th. Again, that's a Thursday, Thursday, May 6th at seven o'clock p.m. Central Time. Uh, and so look forward to that. If you would like to be reminded of that event and other future events, uh, you can always sign up for our email alerts at the Faith and Life website uh, or like and subscribe on our social media. And uh, we, we will remind you of those uh, in advance of the actual events. Um, I always wanna pause at this point just to say a word of thanks. Uh, uh, I've mentioned it now, Lanicia mentioned it. Uh, this is again, the 18th season of these uh, events. It is not in fact a budget item of St. Philip the Deacon. It is funded entirely and completely through the generosity of our underwriters and generous sponsors. Um, so I wanna say a word of thanks to them at this point. That includes our corporate underwriters who are Crossroads Financial Group, Cressa, uh, Ulrich Real Estate Group, Mally Design, Augio, Productivity Inc., Rapid Packaging, and Mastercraft Labels, um, and a whole bunch of other individual contributors and donors. To each and every one of you who make these events possible, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so grateful uh, for your generosity in allowing us to have the privilege of listening to wonderful speakers like Lanicia. Um, so I, let's see, I'm gonna check the questions I've received so far. Um, okay, and I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna start Lanicia with, um, Lanicia was kind enough to do an interview for our uh, quarterly magazine here at the church called Inspire. I don't know if you've actually seen this Lanicia, but it turned out beautifully. It's gorgeous, yeah. I'll send you a copy of it. In any case, and by the way, I should say, if anyone would like a copy of this, we're happy to send you one, as they say, while supplies last. Um, but there's a beautiful um, Q&A interview with Lanicia, which we gave the headline uh, based on a, a, one of the things you wrote uh, in that interview called The Magnificent Struggle. And so the, the pull quote, it's actually it's here on this spread. Um, and you can actually find the article in a digital format at spdlc.org slash inspire if you want to find it there. Um, your words were, I learned so much about myself, the world, the divine through the magnific magnificent struggle of creation. And I suppose in some ways I'm asking you to repeat everything you just said, but can you just tease out what you mean by magnificent struggle? Uh, yeah, so um, creating um, is not, you know, it's not for me, it's not a process where I um, 
come to the canvas and I just whip out something, right? Um, it is a process of becoming. Um, there are certain days where I doubt myself <laughs> in that process. Um, I, I may make a move because my the way I create is one that um, it's a lot of control on my end, but also happenstance. And so in playing some certain things just happen in the creative process. It's like, I didn't mean for that to happen. So there's a lot of problem solving involved. And, you know, and sometimes when you're birthing something, it can be, it's hard. It can be a struggle um, to get it out um, for it to become, but it's so the magnificent part is for me, the creative process and what it reveals to me about who I am and the world around me and some of the things I see, I don't always like, but once that thing comes out, <laughs> once that piece is finished, it is magnificent, the whole process. And so um, I am, a firm, I guess art making has taught me to really appreciate and see the, the, extraordinary like beautiful nature of like life itself just being grace all of it right um all of it um is grace and it's beautiful and it's magnificent and it's, it's a gift um life and um the creative process is talking that excellent all right thank you so uh from one of our, our viewers um have you ever thrown away a piece of art that you thought was unworthy and then regretted it afterward? You know, I have thrown away art. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I've never been asked that before, but yes, hmm. I have thrown it away. And I, and you know, and I guess in a way, maybe I did think it was um, unworthy, but I think when I do release or throw away something, it's because it's like, I'm not going to paint over it. I'm not going to sell it or show it and I need space. Right. And so I just release it and let it go. Um, I haven't thrown away anything that I regret. I have however, painted over a painting um, that I kind of wish one painting. I was like, Oh, I kind of wish I'd kept it. Um, and that's, yeah. But also I hold all things kind of loosely in my hand. Um, that's been part of my, um, journey process through grief and just discovery of how I can continue living with like the pain and the uncertainties of life is to hold all things kind of loosely and not too tight and be willing to let go. And then also my hands are open so that I can receive. And so um, I was like, oh, that's a bummer. But then I keep moving on. And then I just, I end up delighting in the new thing that I created. Excellent. And I am, I, we're, we are getting a number of questions now. And actually, this is parallel to these in-person events. You know, we always have a Q, open mic Q&A. Um, and part of the challenge is hoping that you can get through all of them. So we're going to do our best to get through these. Um, okay. The Gnostic, this is the next question. The Gnostic Gospel of St. Thomas says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is in with what is within you will destroy you. What are your thoughts on that? That's a deep Ooh. question. Yeah. Whoa. I have not heard that before. Um, those words are dynamic. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, I think my a lot of my depression. Um, when I look back on it is because I was a, holding a lot of things in and it was not even just the suppression of like a love and a call, but even like the places of like woundedness that needed air, right. In order for healing to really come, um, was destroying me. Um, and it, and it didn't, um, it saved me to, to practice vulnerability. Um, it saved me to every time I, I release these things and, you know, not hold the grief, not hold the trauma, not hold, I mean, even like it's saving to even share like the things that I love, right. To the, the beauty that I see in the world. Um, all of that, like releasing that is a part of that kind of like saving um, work, I think. And um, 
yeah, so ditto. I St. Thomas, right? Uh, it's actually the, the Gnostic Gospel Gnostic. of St. Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> um, next question: um, Do you have students, and if so, what do you learn from teaching art? Hmm. I do a lot of workshops and classes, um, and so I um, I do work with a lot of students, I guess. Um, and I'm always learning new techniques. Um, I am always amazed by the fact that people will have the same materials, like especially when I used to do workshops in my studio, everybody had the same material. And just to watch how, um, what the different things that flowed out of each one of us and how we each have a unique voice and perspective, right? That's, um, and and the goodness of that, right? Like, I, it's just really a beautiful thing. And so I, I, I'm constantly learning from my students to, um, yeah, just the, the power of creativity to, to awaken. Like I've had students who are now like in school, like studying art, um, came to the table and through their own art making process, um, realized calling in like spiritual direction and, you know, or just now like really appreciate, like I'm just, it's really cool to kind of, to be in conversation with and hear testimonies of how um, coming to the table and tapping into that part of themselves has given them new life. But um, I think one of the main things I learned is always like a little technique. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to mm. work that into <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so that, that question is actually a nice segue to the next question. And I hope um, that she won't mind my um saying who this question is from, one of the questions I get uh, regularly about this series is where do you, where Tim, where do you get the ideas for these speakers? And that's a long conversation. They come from a lot of play, places, but uh, very often they come from uh, friends and colleagues. And this next question is from one of my pastoral colleagues, uh, Pastor Cheryl Matheson, who actually was at one of your um, yes. workshops uh, a few years ago and came back sort of on fire uh, grateful for what she learned there and, and her experience with you. So her question is, um, first, thank you for your beautiful words. And then the question is, as we approach, uh, I hope, the end of the pandemic, how might the church best care for those who have been most traumatized through creativity? Mm. That's a good question. Um First, I say, Cheryl, I wish I could just give you a hug that we're in the same space <laughs> tonight. Um, I would say, and I, I mean, I said this a little bit in my talk, that to make space, one, to make space for art to happen. Um, I do believe when we, almost like the communion table, like when we create a table where people can tap into that part of themselves and just trust that something will happen in the process, right? Um, inviting artists and art therapists, even if you have some in your community, um, to to create, make just make space for people to tap into that part of themselves and tell the story and release, not to hold um, what this year and or year and a half has meant for them as we enter out of it. I also think you know cultivating spaces of beauty. Um, of, of art. Um, and so partnering with local artists, who, if you have gallery spaces in your church or walls, you don't even have to have a, like a proper gallery, but if you have walls, then you have room for art to hang. And so what does it look like to invite artists who, who may have been making work during quarantine, reflecting on this time, who can, who can name the realities of what is and maybe even art that can point us towards the possibilities um, as we live into this new thing. Um, I don't think we'll ever go back to life as normal. Um, it's a new normal now. And I think the artists um, are can be prophetic in ways and help us um, imagine what that new normal can look like in ways that bring about life. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, I love your focus on the body, on our bodies within the body of Christ and that we engage in art with our bodies. Uh, the times when I have been the most traumatized are times when I have felt the most disembodied. Uh, 
Mm. And it makes sense. I guess this is a comment, but I would I'd welcome your your reaction to it. She concludes, or he, I, I don't know who this is from, makes sense that art helps us to reintegrate. So you want to say a few words about that, maybe? Yes. No. I mean, yes. <laughs> um, I do. I do. I feel like um, there is something really, it's art, creativity, like it is a very physical thing. We have to um, be in. Um, there is something about that reintegration that is really powerful. Um, and, you know, our bodies hold the stories. They hold that trauma. And so when we are able to, to physically kind of release it, um, there, there's something really life-giving about that. And the train is going. <laughs> but yes, no, thank you for that comment. And um, those, those are really beautiful words. I, I should have just let it rest because that was lovely. Hmm. Um, and actually, I think we're going to assume that that train whistle is the uh, bell for the last question here. And again, Lanisi, I could actually ask you questions all night. Um, and I do hope uh, Lanisi shared with me that she's not been to Minnesota before. I, I hope someday we will have the chance to invite you here in an embodied way in person. And, and I don't know if this is maybe, um, I don't know if this is too big a question uh, to end with, but I'm going to try anyway. Uh, you, you talked a lot about narrative and story, right? Including, was it the seventh grade teacher who gave you the C, right? So that's a very, uh, in your own life, a very specific moment, which you talk about beautifully in terms of sort of that individual telling you one story about who you are, which uh, it took a long time to sort of, untangle that or, or allow yourself to hear a different story, right? And it strikes me that um, the world, I'm, I guess I'm extrapolating that particular event in your life to how the world for each of us tells mm -hmm. us lies about ourselves, right? Um, in all kinds of ways, probably in ways that we can't even point specifically to and I guess I I'd invite you to maybe just comment on how can we as the body of Christ how can the church um, help remind us of the truth of who we really are you know do you have some thoughts about that and again I realize that's the essay or a topic for a book or a, a volume <laughs> a set of volumes but I, could you respond a little to that maybe <sighs> There's my first thing, which would be saying to, to invite more art <laughs> into the life of the church in a real way. Um, I think art really does um, help us. I, I think because even the church, in a sense, we, we suffer from a, like an impoverished, impoverished imagination about who we are. And part of that is because of the stories that we've been born into, mostly not of our own choosing, right, that have this power and shaping in our lives um, that even kind of works its way into like our church and some of our stories that we even tell ourselves about ourselves. Mm. And so it, one, requires a lot of work and intentionality of unlearning Um stories that are not truthful about who we are that that do you asked for that interview with the magazine asked a lot of questions about unity right and i think part of disunity is this false understanding of who we are because of the ideologies and these stories that that separate us, right? And don't allow us to truly see each other. So I think if the church can continue to do the hard work of, um, of reshaping, of healing our imagination, and so then telling our story and speaking truth, like constantly doing that work, invite more artists in and art into spaces, right? That can help us grow in empathy and understanding of each other. Um, that can help us see in ways that um, our own stories may keep us from seeing um, clearly and really understanding, you know? Um, and so I, I do, I, my thing would be just continue doing the work of, of leaning into the story of faith, right? But also like diversifying 
what is helping you understand and articulate that faith. And when I say that, I mean other perspectives, right? Um, from various, like, who are you reading, right? Is it inclusive? Um, who's in your lexicon? And then, um, and inviting the, those those voices into the stories, into the community as well, right? Like, um, I think that's important. And then again, art, more art, <laughs> more well, art. Be careful what you wish for. Maybe we'll invite you to be up here as an artist in residence sometime. <laughs> Maybe. I think, I think you could teach us a few things. All right. As a final thing, I want to just say again, a word of thanks, Lanicia. And um, I will send this to you. I would hand it to you if I were with you in person. It's a piece of granite, black granite, oh, wow. um, with the Faith in Life uh, logo. And it says, with thanks to Lanicia Rouse for bringing faith to life. And we do thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. To all of you who have joined us tonight, thank you for spending some time with us. We're grateful for your presence. We look forward to seeing you at the next event. <laughs>